Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said, so I declared on on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he says they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David and was said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall uh, by following their example of disobedience. The observation we ended with last week has become our lesson today. As you see, Jesus brings better rest. And, and last week we talked about the fact that Jesus is better than Moses. Uh, and we said and, and really explained that chapter 3 of the book of Hebrews um, is really a reference to Isra- the Israelites' exodus out of Egypt, right? It, it, it's a reference to, to that exodus out of Egypt. Well, guess what? Um, look at verse 1 of chapter 4. How does that begin? Therefore, okay, another conjunction. It means we're still talking about the Exodus. We're still talking about the Exodus from Egypt. Um, and, and that means uh, that that needs to factor into how we interpret these verses. And so here's the truth of God that, that needs to guide our conversations this morning. Just follow this with me. And I want you to write this truth down. It's really important. I want you to understand it was not God's will for Israel to remain in Egypt or in the wilderness. It was not God's will for the Israelites, the the children of God, it was not God's will for the children of God to remain in Egypt or in the wilderness. God's desire for his people was always the the promised land. And that truth needs to guide our understanding of this passage, um, this conversation about the rest that Jesus offers, and even our thoughts about how those truths apply to our lives. And so um, that's going to bring us to where we'll be this morning. I want to give you three reasons why. Three reasons why Jesus brings better rest. And here's the first. Jesus brings better rest because the rest of Jesus brings freedom from sin and death. The rest of Jesus brings freedom from sin and death. And there are really three different types of rest talked about in this passage. And all three are immensely important. And we're going to start with with, uh, this this Sabbath rest thought that's mentioned in in verse 9 and 2. Now, that's that's a reference to salvation, right? 
It's a reference to salvation. Now, now you think back with me to, to Egypt and the Israelites and, and how they got there, right? They settled there in Egypt because of Joseph. You remember him. His brothers were jealous. They, they were going to kill him. They decided not to kill him. They sold him into slavery. Ends up in Potiphar's house. Makes Potiphar this great man. He's a great servant. Potiphar's wife says, hey, Joseph, come to me. He runs away. She makes an accusation. He ends up in jail. Uh, all this, you know, he's going to rise up. He's going to serve Pharaoh, be in charge of all of Egypt, be the second in command. And, and it's because of Joseph that the children of God end up in Egypt where they flourish there and God increases their number greatly and then Joseph dies. Now, the blessing and the favor of God isn't removed when Joseph dies. The Israelites are still increasing greatly and a new Pharaoh, a new king eventually comes to reign and he doesn't know about Joseph. He wasn't a historian evidently. But, but he does know that there are a whole bunch of Israelites in Egypt. In fact, so many Israelites that he says, listen, if these guys ever wake up, if the light bulb ever goes on, they're going to overthrow us. We need to enslave these people, make them our servants. And so let's beat them and make them work for us. And, and, and that's what happens. And so, so, so the people of God are enslaved and, 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 and it is harsh, harsh labor. They cry out to God. God hears their cries, sends them a deliverer. His name is Moses. Moses shows up. God used him to, to perform miraculous signs and the sin plagues. It all leads to the Passover, right? The Passover, it's the death of the firstborn. And, and, and the only way to avoid that death is, is the death of an innocent victim, a blameless lamb. Pharaoh finally heeds because his son dies the speech and he lets them go. Um, and, 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 but he changes his mind as they run. And, and they get to the Red Sea and, and Pharaoh is in hot pursuit and he is, he is right on, on their tails. And so God tells Moses, I want you to hold the staff out over the Red Sea. And he holds the staff out and the waters are divided and they cross on dry land. And, and, then, and then God hardens Pharaoh's heart so that he enters with all of his army. Uh, once the Israelites get on the dry ground, God closes the waters and the enemy is swallowed up in victory. Amen. Now that is how the exodus happened. Here's what it took, though. God had to hear their cries. It was God. God heard their cries. Even, even in their silent ones, in the inner thoughts of who they were, God heard their cries. God sent a deliverer. His name was Moses, right? And you remember that God gave Moses some signs. Why? Because the people were stubborn. If somebody from their own group had, had come up and said, you know, hey, listen, I think we can overthrow these guys. I think we can take them. There's no way they were going to do it, right? They were, they were enslaved. They, they had no belief that they could ever be conquerors. And so God sends a deliverer who has to perform miraculous signs in order to get their attention. And so whether it's the staff or it's, it's the cloak thing, um, whatever it is, they, they, they've got to do this. You remember, and then there, there had to be the plagues. Why? Because Pharaoh's heart was so hard. And, and, and so the water, the blood, the frogs, the gnats, the flies, the livestock, the boils, the hail, the locusts, the darkness, and the death of the, the firstborn. Then there had to be Passover so that the Israelites didn't all lose their firstborn child. And so the Passover required the death of an innocent victim. And then there was the pillar cloud. This is all required for the Exodus. And God has to show up his presence in this great pillar cloud. And, and, and he has to lead them. And so God's presence is with them. He's leading them as the Israelites begin to approach and get close. He goes behind them and he sends them into chaos. And, and it's, it's all God, right? And, and then they get to the sea. And now the sea is there and we're going to die. And they're behind us. And God divides the waters, right? 
And then God hardens Pharaoh's heart. It wasn't the Israelites. God did it. And so the enemy enters in to, to this, this divided sea where God swallows up the enemy because God closed the waters. That's the story of the Exodus. That's how it all happened, right? So let me ask you this question. Could the Israelites have done any of that themselves? Absolutely not. So what is this? This this rest, this moment that the waters fall on the enemy. And by the way, you see this, right? Do you get the visual as Pharaoh in the army, as, as, as the army of the enemy is swallowed up? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's been swallowed up in victory. You fought, Do you see the imagery of the Old Testament coming to life in the New Testament? Do, do you see what's going on? So, so where is your sting? It's been swallowed up in victory. And we, we begin to see these things. We begin to wrap our minds. And, and this is what we understand. We understand the exodus is, is a portrait. It's a picture of our own salvation. There was no way that the... Israelites could deliver themselves from the hand of Pharaoh. And there is no way that you or I could ever deliver ourselves from the hand of sin and death. It has to be a God thing. It has to be a God thing. And I, I just want you to see this. This, this, is, this, is our, this is our point. There's no way they could do it on their own. So I'll just write this down with me. God provides an exodus from sin and death for those that believe in Jesus. That, that, that's the beauty of the exodus. That's the beauty of salvation. God has provided an exodus from sin and death for those that believe in Jesus. Not those that work really hard, not those that feel really bad, but, but rather those that believe in Jesus. Hebrews 4, 3 says it like this. Now we who believed enter that rest. And oh, what a rest it is. The enemy's been defeated. Death and hell conquered, swallowed up in victory. And, and, and when that weight is lifted, when you enter into that rest, when you are saved, oh, what a joy that is. That, that, that kind of thing will make a brother sing just out of nowhere. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's what happened. They got to the other side. Miriam just started up the choir. Go, amen, amen. They're grabbing tambourines. I mean, they, woo! Did you see? The horses and the chariots were swallowed up by God, right? And where are we, oh Christians? Like, why do we not remember that day and chant, oh God, boy was I a sinner. Boy was I enslaved. But let me tell you about my God. Amen. Amen. Right. And just that's who we are. That's where we come from. That's our story. And so we begin here. The rest of Jesus is better. The rest of Jesus is better because he delivers us from from the very hand of of death and, and slavery. He provides freedom from sin and death. OK, number two. Rest of Jesus is better because the rest of Jesus brings us into fullness of life. The rest of Jesus brings us into fullness of life. We need to revisit our truth today so you can think about it. It was not God's will for Israel to remain in Egypt or the wilderness. It was not God's will for Israel to remain in Egypt or the wilderness, right? The goal for God's people was always Canaan. It was the promised land. But they got to the border. They got to the edge of the promise. And they began to doubt. 
They, 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 they got to the edge, they got to the border, and they took their eyes off of the promise, and they started to focus on the problems. There are giants in that land. They focused on the power of the giants over the promise and the power of God. And they paid for it dearly. It says in Hebrews 4, 5, God says, they shall never enter my rest. But here's the deal. Even though they did not enter that rested promise place, that blessedness, God never left them. See, you, 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 you can't forget that. A lot of people are going to look at this passage and say, well, well clearly they, they just didn't have God. Nope, God never left them. We're looking to apply this to our life. God's never, so, so, so here's the deal. The, the, the promised land is an illustration unto us of a promised life. The promised land is an illustration unto us. It, it, it's a real thing. It really happened. Really, but God uses it to show us about his promise of life in, in Christ. And th- this is huge. We've, we've got to get this. Hebrews 4.1, right? Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let's be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short. So, so he's literally saying, look, so you in life enter into the promise. Don't fall short. It's a big deal because spiritually it means that you weren't just delivered from sin in order to wander in the wilderness. It says, don't fall short of the promise. You weren't just delivered from sin so that you could wander in the wilderness. Think about that. God was still with the, the Israelites 40 years. He never left them, but they never experienced his abundant blessings. They never experienced his fullness while they were there because that fullness, right, that overflowing with with milk and, and honey and fruit, that happens in Canaan. That happens in the promised land. They never got to experience that. Now back to us. The point here is that there is such a place for us today. Verse 7, therefore God set a certain day calling it, Today, there is such a place for us today, and it's not a promised land, it is a promised life. And that life is God's will for His children. It's not Egypt, it's not the wilderness. It is Canaan, it is the promised land, it is the promised life. Jesus said it this way, John 10.10, I have come that they might have life and they might have it to the full. It's talking about abundance. Literally, the word in Greek, it means overflowing. Overflowing. What was what was Canaan called? It was the land what? Overflowing with milk and honey. It was the land with abundance of fruit where they got some grapes and they had to strain them together on poles and carry them on two guys' backs, right? And, and God is saying, this is what I have for you. This is the life I have planned for you. But you only get it when you enter my rest in Jesus. So you weren't saved to wander in the wilderness. You were saved to enter into fullness in Christ. I've come that you might have life more abundantly. And we only get that abundance when we walk in Jesus. When we rest in in Jesus, the first promise of rest is about salvation. The second promise of rest is about abundance, which comes through submission and obedience It literally is the life of eternity here and now. And it's found in Jesus, the author of the eternal. 
See, something miraculous happened when Jesus came to earth. Isaiah 9, 6, the beautiful passage. We, we're going to talk about it all during Advent season. It talks about Jesus and it calls him wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, right? It's talking about Jesus. We have no problem with most of those words, but then we get to an everlasting father. We say, wait, how can Jesus the son be the everlasting father? Because that term in Hebrew, it means the author of all that's everlasting. When Jesus came, eternity came with him, friends. When, when, when Jesus came and when we walk in Christ, we get to experience the abundance of eternity here and now. That's the promise of God. That's what it means to live a spirit-filled life, to, to, to remain in the vine, to keep in step with the spirit. It means that you have love and joy and peace. Not one of the fruits. It's all the fruit of the spirit. You get it all. Love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. It doesn't mean that God alters our situation doesn't mean that God alters our situation, but it means that His presence is overflowing in our situations. I don't know about you, but that's, that's huge. To know that it doesn't mean that God's necessarily, and He can change my circumstance, but, but the great promise is, is that even though I walk into the land of giants, I walk into the land of giants that is overflowing with Jesus. <laughs> That's the glory of it, right? That's the glory of this life. And friends, I'm going to tell you, most Christians, we are falling short here. We, we, we hear about abundance in Jesus, but we're like, I, don't, I, I just don't want to give my whole self to Him. I mean, if I let go completely, I'm, I'm going to be some kind of freak. People are going to think I'm weird. I, I want to tell you, I want to be weird. You know what I'm saying? I, I want I want people to look at me and, and they go, but but Jason, man, there's stuff going on with your wife's health and there's stuff going on with kids and there's stuff going on. And I'm like, yes, and it's never been better. Because Jesus is in every ounce of it and He's soaking through it and milk is pouring out of orifices all over the place and there's honey running down and there's fruit so big that I can't eat the whole thing in one sitting, right? Because that is the abundance that we only find in Christ. You are not meant for Egypt and you are not meant for the wilderness, my friend. You are meant for Canaan. You're meant for Canaan. There's one more type of rest. And you've got to read the passage so carefully to get it. But it is a reference to that very final rest that we find in heaven one day. So I just I want you to jot this down. I'll explain it. I'll share my heart with you and. Uh, Here we go. Uh, Number three is that the rest of Jesus brings us into a forever family with our father. A forever family with our father. You say, why is that a big deal? Because the Bible says we were enemies of God. The gospel would teach us basically that we were orphans, that we were here wandering like sheep without a shepherd, right? That's why Jesus has compassion on us because we're like sheep without a shepherd. I wonder what what. Hard-hearted person could ever go look at an orphan and walk away and not give them everything they possess. What person could go into a slum and see a child eating garbage and not literally take off their shoes and their shirt and wrap them up and pick them up and take them somewhere and give them something to eat? Like, who who could ever walk past that kid? I don't care if there's snot. I don't care if there's, there's disease. I don't care if it's visible. Like, you're not going to walk past a child, are you? Right. I mean, come on. We're people like we'll pick up dogs like that. Right. And like, oh, come here. I mean, you see a child like that. And this is God. He says, you're my child. Like, that's what God sees in us. Right. And so so God, who loves us with with all of his heart, 
says, listen, you're not going to be an orphan any longer. I'm going to adopt you and I'm going to bring you into my home and you will be well fed and you will be taken care of and you're going to be forever mine. And, and the process of adoption is huge. Revelation 14 talks about the kind of rest that that's like. It says that they're going to rest from their labor. They're going to rest from, from their deeds. Uh, and their, their deeds are going to follow them. And, and, and so I, I think of it like this. You know, Paul um, said that he, 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 once he met Jesus, he considered all of his life refuse. Remember? Everything was, everything was garbage. So, so here's my image, right? Paul was an orphan. He didn't know it, but he was an orphan. He was going through life, and literally his whole life was about the dump. And then God called and said, no, my son, I've got something so much better for you. And when, when, when Paul was adopted, right, when, when, when Saul becomes Paul, he gets a new name, he gets adopted, he's got a new birth certificate. Man, the glory of being part of God's forever family just floored him. And he looked back and he said, all that stuff I spent my life on, I was roaming the garbage dump. But now I know what glory is and I know what bountiful is. And, and man, I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. And it affected him greatly. Friends, it should affect us greatly. Because the Bible teaches that each of us has been adopted by God. Forever family is a big term in our house. I think it's a big term for anybody that has adopted a child. Uh, because you take a child. Um, and hear me, we're not, we're not, we're not that child's savior. My prayer is Jesus is. I, I pray that over her since the first day I held her. I want to be a part of that redemption process, though. And when you can, when you can take a child that has been neglected or has been abused, and you take them into your home and they become part of your forever family, you begin to teach that child what it means to trust again. You begin to teach them what real love is all about. Can, can you walk through this with me when, when Jesus comes into our lives, when we believe in him by faith, God adopts us as sons or daughters. That's what it means to be a part of the forever family, that God begins to love us and teach us what real love is, right? And God begins to teach us what it means, real trust. He says, listen, my son, my daughter, I'll never leave you or forsake you, never. And and, and for somebody that has been walking alone, For their whole life, suddenly it makes sense. And it is the beauty of the gospel. And the Bible says that that's the rest that Jesus brings. You know, my hope and my prayer, because I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible parent. Like, I stink at it. I mean, I, 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 I love my kids with all my heart, but I'm like, oh, gosh, I could be doing so much more. Like, they, sh- they should have the whole Bible memorized by now. I'm a pastor, for crying out loud. Like, they should be the little godliest looking saints that are preaching Jesus to everybody. And I'm like, oh, go watch TV. Make it veggie tales or something. When it's all said and done, I pray my biological kids and my daughter, who might as well be my biological child, because she dances kind of like me. I pray when it is all said and done that they will always know that they had a father that accepted them no matter what, that they always had a safe place to go, that they were never alone again, and that through all things in life that he would walk with them through it and help them figure it out. That's my commitment until I breathe my last breath. Friends, there is a day coming when all those orphans of God who were adopted by God will finally get to sit in the lap of their father forever and hear those words, welcome home. Well done. I'm proud of you. I love you.
I love you. I love you. Jesus is better. So what do we do uh, when we run into the gospel like that in the midst of Hebrews chapter 4 and makes us all snotty nose and teary-eyed? And we turn to verse 11 and, and, and we read this and it says this. It says, therefore, make every effort to enter into that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. So, so when I give you the application, this is my prayer for you, that you will make every effort to enter into the rest that we've talked about. So for some of you this morning, that, that means that you need to let today be the day of your salvation. For some, some of you, and I know it's early service, but maybe there's somebody here and you're not a Christian yet. That means that you're still a slave to sin and to death. Now, I love you. I'm not trying to scare you. But if you die that way, you'll be a, a, a slave to sin for, the, for eternity. That's, that's, that's the gospel truth. That's, that's not fire and brimstone. That's not, it just is the gospel truth that forever you'll be separated from a God that loves you more than you can imagine, that made you in his image, that has provided enough information for you to know that he exists just by making the sun come up and the moon come up. God's already done enough. But yet you, on top of that, have heard the gospel and you've heard that God loves you so much that while you were his hater, that he sent his son to die in your place as the Passover lamb so that you didn't have to experience death. That's the gospel. So you've heard it now. And so my prayer for you is that today you would enter that rest of salvation. Today that you would cross over on dry ground. And today that you would bust out and hey, amen. Today would be the day. So, so if you're not a Christian, today needs to be that day. And so in a little bit, we'll stand up, bow our heads, people will pray. Somebody will come down here, snotty nose about the fact that they haven't entered the Canaan yet. And they're going to be like, oh, I'm 40 years old and I've never entered into Canaan. And it's like not too late. Today you can enter into Canaan, right? And so like, like so they're going to be doing that and you need to deal with this because this is of great importance. Number two, those of you that have already crossed through the Red Sea, you've been delivered from Egypt, but you're still wandering in the wilderness. I'm going to pray that you would stop settling for a lesser life. You're not meant for Egypt, but just as you were not meant for Egypt, you are not meant for the wilderness, my friends. You're meant for so much more. You're meant for intimacy with God. You're meant for abundance. You're meant for overflowing. And just ask that question. Just ask Jesus honestly. Jesus, am I overflowing with you? Am I, am I overflowing with you? Am I, am I walking that closely by your side? Am I remaining in you that I would bear that kind of abundant fruit? And if we're not, we just say, you know what, Lord? I'm sorry. I want to step in today. I want to cross over today. God, I know that there are going to be giants and I know that my circumstances may not change. But though those circumstances may not change, as I step over, I know that your overflow will be enough. All right. Number three, we're done. I encourage you and implore you because there is a final rest coming. There is that forever family and that well-done moment ahead. Live for it now. Jesus told us clearly that we shouldn't store up our treasures here on earth. 
for moth and rust destroy, but that we should store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Now, that is talking about how we spend our money investing in the kingdom, but it's also talking about how we spend our time, how we spend our life. I would just implore you, if, if you're not investing your life in the kingdom like that, let's change that today. How does our author put it? Make every effort to enter into that rest, my friends. I pray that you will do that today. Would you pray?